Okay, freaks, this is the guide to your psychopath. This podcast is not about me telling you how you're fucked up. I'm here to learn about your past and how it affects your decision making. I've been studying people for a long time now, but I've never asked them about how their mind goes through the process. I want to read your guide. I want to know how you think and feel. This will not be edited to take snippets out of context, but I believe everyone will benefit from hearing all of the conversation. Learning your guide will make it better for me to understand you. Welcome to the Guide to Your Psychopath. This week, I uh, wanted to go out and uh, be a little adventurous in finding my next episode. So I went out and I knew where some of the interesting people were going to be hanging around. And uh, I walked up to one guy, his name was Johnny Ortiz, and I started talking to him. And this was our conversation. So you're resting my my knees kind of temperamental at times. And I just sit, take a break, do a quick puzzle. Your knees temperamental? Well, I had a uh, ACL done on it, 1996. Okay. That's been what close to 30 years ago. Yeah, 30 years. Yes. Well, I played soccer for over 42 years. Soccer? Yes. Yeah. And, but I had never wounded, you know. But one day, here in late 95, I was getting off the back of a uh, bobtail truck, and I stepped down on the little bumper and then just hopped. And when I landed, that was it. And the doctor, the uh, orthopedic surgeon who did my knee, he told me it all did good. And for all the years, it was great till here about three years ago. And at first I was scared I'd maybe re-wounded my ACL or yeah. something. I ended up going to the doctors uh-huh. there in Modesto. They did uh, oh, a lot of x-rays. Yeah. And the doctor came back in a minute, two later, said, Johnny, the mechanics on your knee, your meniscus, your ligaments, they're all good, but your knee is stone full of arthritis. A lot of arthritis. Like a lava, lava-filled lava volcano. Yeah. You know, he said, I got... It's what usually happens with all the injuries that a person sustains. Yeah. Well, I had never really heard it playing ball all the years, but... You know, but uh, and I remember him asking me on the little follow-up checks after the surgery. Yeah. You know, he's a great orthopedic surgeon, by the way. And he's asking me, so, uh, Johnny, are you still playing ball? No, I don't think I'm doing that anymore. You know, can't say I couldn't, you know, help coach my little cousins. Throw him a trick or two, but no. Did you do anything else? I said, well, I ride my bike. You what ride kind of a bike? Lo- mountain bike. A mountain bike. I love bikes. Sir. Yeah. And he asked me, so, what do you average? I said, 30, 35 miles a day. And he said, and you've been playing guitar, you say, for about 50 years. You don't have arthritis in your hands or wrists. You should probably. 
But with all that stuff you're doing with your bicycle riding and walking, you said you're probably going to have arthritis in the next 20 years or so. Yeah. In your knee. Well, he was right. But. Yeah, my name is Luis Miramontes, and I just wanted to talk to. Uh, Luis Miramontes. Yeah. My name is Johnny Ortiz. John Ortiz. Johnny Ortiz Jr. Okay. I just wanted to see, uh, start talking to you guys to see uh, how it is that you guys got in a situation when you guys, I don't know if you're I'm not really in a bad situation. I'm, Are you uh, homeless? I'm in a, no. No? Uh, I stay with my cousin. Okay. Uh, I'm in the process of getting my, um, I guess, you know, 62 years old, so... Getting yeah. your uh, social security. Yes. Yeah. And you know, Mr. Lewis, back in 96, I had my surgery done. Yeah. And you know, they had told me, oh, you might be out of work for close to three years before you're back on your feet. Yeah. I ended up going to work for the good guys there in Modesto. In Modesto. Selling yeah. stereos. Okay. And they were saying, you shouldn't be on your feet for more than an hour or so a day on a job. Yeah. I still, I, I didn't sit. But, well, before I got to go to work with the good guys, so I'm home with my girlfriend and her three daughters, and I got this package in the mail about that thick from Social Security Administration. Yeah. Okay, well, you know. I've always been a reader, so I opened it up. And they were detailing a lot of stuff. It was all positive, really. And they were telling me that- It was all about you. That with the work credits that I had already accumulated between the military and just, you know, work. Yeah. I'd done. And they told me that if I wanted, I could go on Social Security back then, and I would have made about 2200 a month. What branch of the military? I was in the Army. In the Army, okay. Yes, I was in the Army six years active, and then I worked for them for another close to 15 years as in a the, contractor. The reserve? Uh, contractor? Yeah. In Germany. Okay. But they had told me that, you know, with my work credits, that I qualified. And, you know, and I'm thinking in my mind, you know, I'm not ready to be a couch potato. So I sat down, Mr. Lewis, and I hand printed. I mean, I could type, but it's more like hunting tech. But I've always been a pretty good printer. Yeah. Because I grew up in high school doing drafting and architecture. So I wrote these folks a two-page letter and sent it back to them. And basically, I was letting them know, I don't know if I'm ready. I think I still got some work left in me. Yeah. And uh, I think. You think that was um, for the offer? Pride? I'm sure a lot of that came from pride. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. And, and not only that, in my mind, I knew I still have things I could do. I ended up going up to Washington State and building an award-winning helicopter for my dad's boss. So you were a mechanic in the Army? Yes. Doing helicopters? Helicopters. Which, which helicopter? 
Well, I went into the Army as the armament technician on Cobra helicopters. When I was joining the Army, I had told the recruiter, you know, he's asking me, what would you be interested in? I was thinking like, uh, like a motor pool mechanic on cars, you know, vehicles, yeah, or a truck driver. And he took me to Santa Clara, had me do that little entrance test thing. Yeah, the ASVAB. Didn't even tell me that's an important score. I didn't. <laughs> yeah, it is. I just went in and did it like it was nothing. I was done with the test in like 12 minutes, I think. Yeah. And I come back out, the recruiter's sitting there in the waiting room, and then they call him over the window, and he didn't even come and tell me. He just said, let's go, Johnny. Lunch is on me. We get back in the old government issue, Maverick, go back to Fremont. And he told me, with that score you got just now, I refuse to let you be a truck driver or motor pool mechanic. Because you're a great mechanic. Your mechanical skills came out in the ASVAB score. Well, I can remember as a seven-year-old helping my dad set points on tune-ups. It got to the point that he could have me, he could go to the house, and I'd do all of them. Yeah. Um, you know, I was a bookworm. I spent lots of time in libraries. Okay. And just studying. This is how you make things work. But I'd never gotten into education. So when that recruiter mentioned, and he shows me a picture of a Cobra helicopter, and I said, what's that? He said, that's a Cobra. And H1 Cobra. And he started talking about the army. Oh, that's what makes it fire. And you know, like I told him, look, I've always prayed for peace, but I do agree that the best defense is the best offense. Yeah. So, next thing I know, that's what he had going in as. And, uh, and then from there, once I got to Germany, permanent party, it was a Cobra platoon. We had the armament shop and the maintenance shop. The guys that make the bird fly. Yeah. And us who can make it fire. Our shop was overstaffed and they needed people. So they came over one morning and said, hey, anybody want to volunteer? You know, promotion points, you know? Yeah. Good. You get a secondary MOS? There was only one other guy and I, we said, yeah, we'll do it. So now, I doing both sides, you know. I'd be in the armor shop one part of the day, then I'd be over there, maintenance shop, out in the front line. Yeah. And then the next thing I know, I was working on Hueys, 58s, all of them. So that was it. But did you get to travel at all with the Army? Actually, I did all of my Permanent party time, and then once I did get out, because you know that joke, oh, you're gonna end up marrying a Fraulein. No, I'm not. What did I do? I married a Fraulein. One child, that's all we've got. Fraulein. Well, she was then. <laughs> now she's gonna turn, what, 72 in August. She still looks way younger than I do. Germans are healthy people. Yeah. But, uh, so all of my time with the Army was there in Germany. And uh, like I say, I was 
working on Huey's, and there was a uh, a unit right up the flight line from our unit. Third Armored Division, 503rd. They were a cool unit. And we were their support unit. Yeah. And uh, the post commander had a huge, you know, he was a light colonel then. And his crew chief, Brian Allen, never forget that guy. You know, because whenever they had maintenance needed to be done, they had to bring it to us. They weren't allowed to do a lot of the stuff that we were doing. Yeah. And then one day, I guess, Brian, he was from Alaska, and his father ended up with a terminal illness. So he had to go home on a, you know, emergency leave. And I guess that colonel asked him, well, who's going to fill in for you while you're gone? And he told him, let me go get him, sir. And he comes down the flat line, tells him, hey, Colonel Vasey wants to talk to you. Okay, so I go up there, okay. Yep. And I ended up becoming his crew chief. Yeah. Okay. And then Brian ended up basically getting out of the military. I think his father lived, though. He survived, but, you know, he had a sickness that took time. Yeah. And, uh, and then we got word that he basically got a easy out, you know. He was already a buck sergeant. By then, I was, too, so. And that colonel just says, ah, he doesn't have to come back. I'm keeping you, Ortiz. And him and I, you know, because that was my thing, to have his bird ready anytime pre -flight. he needed. You had to do the pre-flight. I was doing everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The pilots. You know, we usually had a two-man pilot crew that would hang with us for a while. But sometimes, you know, because they got to rotate, too. Yeah. But, uh... We used to fly to uh, a lot of times. I don't know how many times I flew to Brussels, Belgium. And a lot of times, usually it was an overnight, you know, because they were having these NATO meetings. Yeah. And by then, he had gotten his bird plane. Full bird. Now he was a bird. Yeah. David Vasey, I loved that man. He was so cool. And he always had this trick. If we had a new pilot crew with us because you know the path we took okay it was basic okay and we had our hot mics but him and I being in the back seat now the pilots were up front flying okay him and I had our own switch we could hit they couldn't hear us yeah and he just said they got to where we were on first name basis Johnny you hungry and I already knew where it was. There was a McDonald's. <laughs> Just a little, a little southwest of the city of Stuttgart. Yeah. On this field, which was part of the path before we took our hard west turn. And these guys didn't know. And I had this trick I would do. I had a little jeweler screwdriver in my flight suit, my Nomex suit. Yeah. 
you know, these guys are flying. I don't know. And I just get up, and right there on the granny bulkhead, yeah. all I had to do was pull one, you know, soundproof blanket, you know, Velcro, hook up a couple of Zeus bastards, get in there, and I'd take the chip detector loose, and I'd short it with my screwdriver. So now they got this chip detector light on the master caution tank. And it was always right about where the McDonald's was going to be. So now we're like, what do you think we should do? Well, we better stop and check it out. And when they would land, the McDonald's was like from here to the SJVC building right there. Yeah. Maybe now, 500 feet or so? And there's Colonel Vases. What do you guys want? And he'd buy. <laughs> he'd own it. And these guys love flying with us. They say, you guys are nuts, man. Yeah. We, we never put you in danger. No. You ain't going to find no chips inside of that <laughs> transmission. But, yeah, we used to do stuff. We used to have fun. And there were times they were having these, because the pilots would usually stay in either a military-funded officer quarter room. Yeah. Him and I stayed in the hotel room. I'm like, man, I'm only a buck sergeant. Here we are with these generals. They got these E6, E7s, his age. What do you got? A buck sergeant. But when we would sit, because, you know, I used to say, before, I don't know if that's right. He said, no, you're sitting with me while we dine. And he used to get upset because how do you do that? I would not drop a pee off of my fork. You know the old style? Yeah. Here he is, all him and all these officers. Got stuff all over their laps. And here's Johnny. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. We had fun, him and I. And then he got a star. And that, that was the end of that. So him and I worked together eh, about two and three quarter years. Then he got his star, which meant he got his orders. He had to go to the Pentagon. So that was the end of that. And then you became a contractor. Well, I, you know, I was still doing things. I still had about seven, eight months on my second enlistment. But then I told my wife, because they already had these contractors over there. And it wasn't about the fact that they made three times more money than I was making while I was in the Army. It wasn't about the money. I knew these guys were smart cookies. Yeah. And I thought I could do that. And so that's what I ended up doing. I got out and I got hired. Boom. It was great. I ended up be, becoming a crew leader. 13 guys. I was the 14th guy. Yeah. Leading a crew of people? Yeah. We had a good crew, too. Very good crew. We were all pretty good at what we did. What kind of maintenance was it? Do you remember? Phase maintenance. And we worked on Chinooks, Apaches, Cobras before. By then, then the Cobras got phased away. The old 58 observations, before they became Deltas, 
you know. Yeah. They're all great birds. All hues. We still had our hues and our black hawks, which we always jokingly called them crash hawks. <laughs> it is. That's a Cadillac hue. Yeah? The black I mean, hawk is a Cadillac. Huey's not a bad flying, you know, it's smooth enough, but Blackhawks fly pretty good. And that's what we did, phases. And, uh, but my crew always knew. We work hard, and when we get off of work, because most of us lived in different areas. A couple of the guys on the crew would have to commute 40 miles, 45 miles to and from work to their house. But we all usually stop after work and share a beer. We wouldn't get drunk or anything, but, you know, work hard, and then we play hard. Yeah. And they all knew my rule. Remember Ed Asner on the Mary Tyler Moore show? No. Her boss? Okay. His rule? No, I don't remember the rule. Here's the point. If you don't like me, you're fired. If I don't like you, you're double fired. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter if I'm wrong, I'm still the boss. And you know, we had good people in our company. Too. Yeah. And the majority of all of us were from the army. Yeah. You know, prior military. We had a couple of guys, never even been in the military, but, you know, they were trained, you know, airframe work, electrical work, even though I was the master electrician and electronics guy. You were? Uh, usually. Okay. I mean, I mean, like our radio guy? Yeah. He was a Filipino guy. Smart cookie, but at times he was lazy. <laughs> now here we are, we had our own office on the hangar floor and uh, had our own dartboard, coffee maker, fridge, everything we needed. And then upstairs, he had his own radio shop. And like I say, he was smart because he had been in the same unit as I in when we were still active. Yeah. Joe Kayabjob was his name. And so, this bird would come in, and we're down there, and we already tore the rotor, rough hub, you know, we more or less. And so I just kinda, you know, we're in the office in the morning, so Joe, how's the radio, how's the I&E going? Oh, it's okay. He hadn't even touched it yet, <laughs> half the time. <laughs> But we laughed. We used to have fun. We were like a family. Yeah. I'd, I'd tell him, you know, because, you know, his wife was Filipino too, but, you know, they had been in Germany long enough. And he was pretty good with his German. And I'd tell him sometimes, Joe, you mess with me, you're going to have to change your name. To what? Not Kayab job, kind job job, no job job. No job job. <laughs> Everybody's laughing. Oh yeah. Oh, we used to have fun. Oh, the guy I was telling you that I had replaced as the crew chief? Yeah. He came back to Germany. 
and he was married, you know. His father was still a lot older, but still okay. And being as cookie that he was, oh yeah. So the office called me and says, hey, where should we send Brian Allen? Well, that was the same hangar him and I worked in, in the Army. Right? Yeah. So go ahead and talk with him, Johnny. We know you're not going to be partial. You know, you've got to be neutral. But if you know the guy, see what he's about. We only talked about 10 minutes, I think. And the guys out on the floor could hear us in there. We were laughing while I'm interviewing, you know, and he's talking. We're serious. And eventually I said, look, Mr. Allen, my only question to you is when can you start? That's usually what I would tell people if they would send someone to have me. And they weren't always going to have them go on my crew. Sometimes they were going to put them somewhere else. Yeah. You, know, you could tell. You know, pretty cool. Oh, I'm pretty sure I said to him, here's the, here's the deal, Mr. Allen. We could sit here all day with you pumping sunshine up my butt, but my question is, when can you start? <laughs> and these guys were cracking up. It's good times, though. Oh, yeah, we did. And, you know, there were times we'd be on out there on the hangar floor and the unit that we were supporting were out in the field doing yeah. something. And we'd have two, three birds that we're working on. And here'd come a general with a couple of captains. You know, the big old general belt buckle. Hello, folks. Have a happy holiday weekend. God bless. With a lit stogie in his mouth. The same general did it two or three times. That's the stereotype, though, right? That all the generals just walk around with stogies in their mouth? I mean, I mean he was cool because he liked us. Yeah. But, and, you know, then you got to get off the bird and walk up. Morning, sir. How you doing? By the way, this is an aviation hangar. There is no smoke. <laughs> if you want to take your cigar back out, or I'll take it out and stub it for you, and then you can walk around with it in your mouth. I had fun with some of those people. And then, you know, and they're just walking around, especially that one general, because he had never been a pilot, but I'm sure he had some knowledge. Yeah. These captains and couple of warrant officers, they're with probably him. talking with him about this, this, yeah. One day, I get back up on my bird, and this guy, Brian, is like from here to the Winko sign there on another bird. And I don't know why I did it. These guys are over here, they're looking around, they're amazed, they're happy. And I say, hey, Brian, so what was that you said about my mother? <laughs> and he said it loud enough for people in the next hangar. I didn't say nothing about the bitch. <laughs> and these guys were laughing. They were going, these guys are sick. 
And then another general one time. It was a Black Hawk that we were working. Yeah. And he said, well, I hear that it might have had some electrical issues. Black box, you know. He says, you got any ideas what it might be? And I said, no problem, sir. And his people were already telling him, yeah, they don't call this guy Ortiz fireman for nothing. Because, you know, even as a lead man, they used to send me to places for a day or so. Yeah. Because these people couldn't always figure things out. And he asked me, so you got any ideas what it might be? I said, it's an ASH receiver problem. And he's like, and even these captains' ages, they're kind of like rolling their eyes on ages. Finally, he says, what the hell is an ASH receiver? And I pulled it off the console. It was an ashtray. <laughs> ASH receiver. Ash receiver. <laughs> it just popped in my head. I don't know how I did. <laughs> You know, here he's thinking about a black box. Oh, yeah, some kind of... Electronics. ASH receiver. Ashtray. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, even as I was in the military still, you know, I didn't try and joke with these big-time officers, but if they came off with a fun thing, I can reply. Yeah, you can come back at it. And they enjoyed that. Yeah. I was never, ever gonna be disrespectful. Yeah, that's not the thing to do, but to, to stand there and have a conversation with them, that'd be good. I spent a lot of, you know, and, and nowadays I've had fourth-generation cousins. You yeah. Know, they're now early, mid-teens. They ask me, so what's it like being in the military? And I just let them know, look, from the time I was two years old, I can recall praying to the Lord. First thing I do, I open my eyes. Through the day, I speak to the Lord. And at night, and I know one thing I always pray for was peace. Yeah. Absolutely. But, and I let them know. Look, I had never considered joining the military when I left high school. Next thing I know, I'm in the military. But like I let them know, I'll bet you won't ever regret it. No. Number one, you get out from underneath your mom's dress, <laughs> you learn a nice trade that can make you money later. Absolutely. You learn things about yourself that you didn't know had, you know, you don't learn how to judge others because you learn the overall, just how people operate. Yeah. You know, it's not a bad thing to join the military. You know, I let them know. I'm not saying you should join the military, but if you do, not one of them has done it yet. But I do have a lot of cousins that were, some of them, before I was even in the military. Yeah. I had great uncles who served in World War II, Korea, Vietnam. So, 
Yep. Mm-hmm. They were all cool guys. I mean, but like I said, I was fortunate. You know, I didn't have to go out in the field too often because my unit was a support unit. Yeah. Every now and then, the units that we would support, a couple of us would go with them if they were going to one of their little week-long Whatever. ventures. Training exercises. Out there in the woods in Germany. Yeah. beer, real flick, you know. Field training. Yeah. Yeah. And we'd go out, but that's basically all, all the field time I ever... You know, I you know, I was, they call us the fly boy, you know. We basically just lived and worked in the hangar. Yeah. Nice one, too. Did you ever get uh, rowdy when you were in the military? Like get into bar fights or anything? No. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure I've got in the middle of a few. See, when I first got into Germany, before I had met my wife and moved off post, yeah. we had our own unit lounge in the basement. No hard liquor, just beer and peanuts. Foosball tables, billiard tables, pinball machines. Every now and then. I remember one time, there was another unit there on that same it was called Flea Horse, or it is called Flea Horse. Okay. Which means Flyer's Den in German. And these guys were field artillery, and they were renovating their barracks. So they moved this whole barrack pool of these guys into our barracks. And they were okay, you know, no problem. And so yeah, they had access, they'd come down and hang out in the lounge too. But there was a couple times, you know how it's gonna be. Outsiders come in and you start to poke and prod. And you guys are okay, but, and then they get a little beer too many. And somebody from our unit would probably, I think I probably said that once or twice, clank, clank, I'm a tank. (laughs) Next thing you know, now you got a little scuffle. Right outside the door of the little lounge there, it's an open spot there in the basement. But I would usually get in the middle and no, 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 ain't gonna happen. No. Cause I don't believe in people. You know, come on, man. I don't care what color you are, you, you, or you. We're all the same color, green. Absolutely. And eventually, Next thing you know, everybody's sitting back in there again. Patting backs, drinking another damn beer. Now you guys go up to, they were living up on the third floor okay. of the barracks. We didn't have to worry too much about them. It's not like they were moving them into our rooms. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I remember them. And the only reason I ask is because I see that your nose is broken. I got that broke playing soccer there in Germany. Oh. I was married. I already had a kid, my, the only child I had. Um, I was playing on the city team there where we lived, Brookhoven. My former brother-in-law, 
had been on the team forever. And one day he just said, Johnny, why don't you come to training? Yeah. So I went to the, it was on a Tuesday. I go there, you know, I had me a pair of shorts, you know, this and that, cleats. No knee socks, not yet, but so I go to train. And that player coach, the coach, my former wife and him had been to school together. So he was older than I, he was nine or 10 years older. This guy was a, a running freak. And he had been a professional in the Bundesliga player. Yeah. Peter Hoffman, but he loved to run. And that was on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we'd have training. You know, we'd do our little stretches, and then we'd run like 14, 15 kilometers to the woods, and then come back to our stadium, and then do some ball work. Do some movements. But old Peter Hoffman, he was a nice guy. But all I know is that very first practice I went to, we get done, and he just came up to me. My German was getting pretty good. I wasn't fluent yet, but, and he just told me, you have to get a player pass, Spieler pass. That's the way they do it. Even my son, when he first started his first year as a five-year-old, if you play soccer in Germany, you have to have a player pass. Okay. That's how they keep track, make sure they're not spiking the team with these Pros. Oh, these ringers. These ringers, yeah. yeah. So he told me I had to go get a pass. And I said, Varun, how come? He said, you're going to play on my team. Okay. So I did. I went and got my, you know, didn't affect my work. I was still active duty army. Didn't, you know, got to play on Sundays. Yeah. Next thing I know, I was the midfield general on the team. And this is back when they didn't think Americans knew anything about football. They're all laughing and thinking, but man, my pass is I can pass the ball from here to that tree right on your foot. Or head, or chest, whatever you want. And all I know is one game, there was this guy, because you know, back then we were still in the fourth uh, division, Landis League, I think it was called. Okay. And there was this guy, this guy had long hair, about down to here, right? We became good buddies, him and I. Yeah. And uh, even though I was midfield and more or less the offense midfield, I covered him because he was offense midfield. So he covered me and I covered him. And he had this nasty habit, corner kicks. You know, you know, refs over there. He's tugging on my jersey, and I'm like, leave me alone. And right at the moment that that guy on the corner would tap the ball, he would grab me like here and just twist. Every time we played against each other, I'd end up with a blue bruise. <laughs> but after the games, we always, in the locker room, because, you know, their showers were on that side and ours was there. 
that's one thing. You never saw people fighting after a game. Yeah. You know, even though during the game, sometimes it looked like they wanted to. But, but we'd always sit and share a beer and laugh. Throwing elbows or something. You know, because, you know, that's the way it was. We would play one game a season in their stadium and then one game in ours. Yeah. And he never did change. <laughs> he always kept doing the same thing. But you know what he eventually started doing? He wouldn't twist and pinch. He would tickle my armpit. <laughs> and I'd, I'd be talking and see, you know, a lot of those referees, because, you know, they knew us. You know, they'd referee, you know, you know. And I'd say, shitty. He done tore my jersey halfway off. Now he wants to tickle me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, pretty funny. Oh, yeah. I had fun playing soccer over there, man. I did. Yeah. I played hard, too. Now, <clears throat> you don't work right now. My father just passed away here almost two years ago. Okay. He's actually the main reason why I left Stanislaw County and came to Bicep. And, uh, and also my cousins. My cousin Patsy. She lives over, way up there on the north side. Patsy? Yeah. Okay. And, uh... Is her last name Ortiz also? No. Her mom's maiden name, so actually, technically, she was probably born with that name, Ortiz. Now she goes, her name is Jackson. Patricia Ann Jackson, cool okay. lady. She's retired. Oh, she just turned 67. It's a good age to be retired. Still enjoy your life? She's doing okay. She, yeah. She's got some minor issues. Surgeries she's had to have done for something. Nothing major though. But uh, so a week before her birthday, which June 30th is her birthday, so okay. it was just just not basically, too long ago. Yeah, last week. So I went over there, and I know she likes to read. I'm a readaholic. I don't know if she's as big a readaholic. She could be. I know she does like to read. These, these special edition Time magazines. Yeah. I got her one from Led Zeppelin, from Eddie Van Hale. I know she loves music. Yeah. Glass of rock. And so I went over there here like a day and a half before her birthday. And I had Lucille Ball, that one. These things are like $17 some of them. I don't care. Because I buy them. I know the Lucille Ball one, I think I was done in under two hours reading it, cover the to cover. Thing. I mean, you know. And then a day or so after I had bought that, I bought Muhammad Ali's special she likes sports. She knows it, at least. Even though that one, there's more photos, but there's also gra uh, also script, 
some. Yeah, yeah. And then I bought her a car from right here at Winco. About cousin. It's a cousin birthday card for her. She cried. It's the little things that count. Yeah. You know? You know, I've been told that over my life. Even as a kid buying my mom or Father's Day cards or what have you cards, people have always said, how come you have such a knack for getting the perfect card? <laughs> I don't know. And, you know, real beautiful floral on the front, and she just, and then she opened it up and it mentioned something about Cousin is part of your family you can never replace. Then I write my little notes yeah. about God bless you, cousin. And then I put my little comment. She used to have a Toyota Celica. Okay. She always called it her Celica. Her Celica. Okay. <laughs> and I'm writing these little deal notes, you know. We lived together, you know, her, my father, her teal, her son, Jared, all of us. We lived at the Oak Views, and then we lived in the house. I was around Paradise. But, uh, and I wrote my little comments, and I even printed it the way it would be. I didn't spell it C E L I C A. Don't forget. The C E E L E E C A. She knows what that means. Yeah. The Celica. The Celica. The Celica. That's and, right. And the road trips we used to make to Santa Maria to go visit our Tio Bobby. Yeah. Oh, yeah. By then, she was thinking her Celica was getting too many miles on it. So she'd always go to Enterprise and rent either a Chrysler 300 or a rental van, you know. She loved those vehicles. Oh, and then I had a ride also. And don't forget your favorite Boulevard in Visalia. Boulevard? Well, you can say street, yeah, avenue, yeah, yeah. what? What was, which boulevard was it? Asequia. Asequia. Now here's the deal, because you know, she's been a Chase Bank customer. Yeah. And we would go from the house sometimes, and we'd go not to the one there on Whittendale and Mooney. Sometimes she'd go to the other one, right? Yeah. And one time her and I were just going that way, and we're crossing, there it is, the sequel. And she just started giggling. <laughs> and she was telling me, you know, cousin, when I first came to Visalia, her daughter, Angela, who still lives here, had already been here couple few years. Cousins just came from the Bay Area, Hayward, I think. And she told me that she referred to it as Asequia. <laughs> and she said her, her daughter Angie just said, oh, come on, mother. <laughs> and so on the card I wrote, don't forget your favorite boulevard. And I spell it that way. A-S-S-E-Q-U-I. Asequia. <laughs> And when she was reading that, she was laughing. Yeah. I can make my cousin pass you laugh. Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Now, oh. is she the only family you have out here, or do you have... Uh... Here in Visalia, I've got quite a few cousins. Most of them are second, third, and fourth, who are her kids, grandkids, and great-grandkids. So, I've got a lot of cousins. Yeah. And you know one thing she wasn't never aware of? I didn't tell her that until about probably seven years ago or so. And, uh, and I was letting her know, you know, she loves music, I know. She doesn't play any instruments, but she knows. I said, cousin, you know what a Stratocaster is, right? Technically, cousin, you are two weeks younger than the Strat. Because Leo Fender, you know, I had a book, you know, the whole entire history, history of that guitar. And the first Stratocasters were released to music stores to be sold on June 15th, 1954. Yeah. She was born June 30th, 1954, exactly two weeks later. She's all, oh, I didn't know that. Well, now you know. Now. <laughs> That's good, though. You do like to read. Oh, I love reading. Yeah. I love to watch sports. I don't overdo. I don't watch as much sports and TV. I still like the morning news at 4.30 or 5. I still like the evening news at 11. So do you come out here to sit down and just relax in the shade and... It's not bad. And this heat doesn't bother me. See, I got my shade. Yeah. I see that, you know, we've been here for almost an hour now and it's, it's real nice in the shade time. Or in the shade. And in the 12 years I've been here, I've met a lot of good folks in here. Yeah. This guy right here, Arnie, he's one of them. I that know guy's him. name is Arnie? That's mm -hmm. the name he goes by. Okay. Arnie. His brother, he goes by the nickname Bones. He's a cool guy. Um, I've got a buddy named uh, Rodney. This kid right here, I've only known him a couple months. You know, uh -huh. his name is Adrian. Um, you know. But you, you guys know, watch out for each other? I do. Yeah. I hope they watch my back. But, <laughs> but like I said, when I first came here, and just, you know, because, you know, whether it's Modesto, Turlock, but Visaya has a magic. And you know, I had my mountain bike. My knee wasn't, see, it's kind of hard to ride the bike with the brace on. The brace on, yeah. I think I can do it without. I don't always need this brace. It's more like a security blanket, like Linus from <laughs> Peanuts. <laughs> the Peanuts. But, uh, and you know, and, and just cruising around, you know, I wasn't asking my cousin or my father to take me on car trips and show me the town. I went around and found it my own way. That's where I've always been. You know? The 
took me three, four years before I even went anywhere east of Mooney that way. Little did I know we ended up living over there off of Walnut in court. Yeah. But, yeah. but uh, and just going around. And one thing I noticed, and it's still that way, really. I mean, sure, there's sometimes doesn't happen. But whether I'm riding down the road on my bike or walking, I don't mind. Good morning, ma'am. Good morning, sir. Some ladies, especially when they know they're only half my age, they kind of take offense. They're like, so they take you addressing it. them? No, they almost, I've had, listen, please don't call me ma'am. You make oh, me feel like yeah. an old lady. <laughs> well, in the military, it doesn't matter if that fresh OCS candidate is 30 years younger than you. She's yeah. still an officer, you gotta call her ma'am. Gotta call her ma'am. But That's one right. thing I noticed instantly in Vice the people are pretty cool in this town. Yes, they are. Even downtown, even once I'd start venturing down on the other side of the way of Delta, getting lost, yeah. and finding my way back some way or the other, the people even down there, they're pretty cool. Yeah. When you speak to people, I think most people are going to speak, unless they're just having a totally crappy day. There's like, very few assholes out there. I used to like that old George Carlin line. You remember that guy? George Carlin, I know who George Carlin is, yeah. I remember on one of his records, he's talking about that, how, you know, it's nice to be polite, you're in there. And you're, you're working as a, as a cashier in a grocery store, and you help this little nice lady, not an old lady, but you know, and you say, well, ma'am, have a nice day. And she looks you in the eyes and says, hey, I've had four nice days in a row. By golly, I'm ready for a crappy day. <laughs> it's like you're putting them under pressure to have a nice day. Right? Uh, yeah. yeah. So what do you tell them? Have an average day. <laughs> All right, Johnny, I'm going to get out of here. Well, you know what? It's been awesome talking to you, sir. I have to stand up and get you a salute. Oh! I do that with you. Always. Oh! I appreciate you, Johnny. God bless you, Luis. Sir, I rest. <laughs> That's great, man. I had a great stay, conversation. Uh, yeah, this is awesome. You motivated me. I'm putting that puzzle book away. I'm done with the puzzle. <laughs> you stay, uh, stay cool, but stay hydrated. All right? I got cold soda. Well, I got to get on the bus here in a little bit. Yeah. But you have a wonderful day. We'll God see bless. you later, Johnny. Brother. All I'll right. Well, that's it for now. I want to be clear on something. No one person grows up the same. Everyone has their own opinion and how they come up with it. That's why I started this, so that I can understand you and your guide to your path. If we all have different strengths, then maybe... Just maybe we can learn from each other.